The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. So here's the problem with studying the works of human beings and putting them into a proper theological, biblical framework. Everything becomes interesting. Even things that are boring become interesting. For instance, in my art history class, I'll show students something that is famously beautiful, and then I'll show them something that I know that they're going to find ugly. And I ask them to try and decategorize and not think about beautiful or ugly, but think about interesting, because what is interesting is what holds your attention. And the idea of something being interesting to a human soul is interesting. I can do the same thing with uh, novels, with short stories, with plays. Do the same thing with architecture. Is this building interesting? Is this conversation interesting? Is this human face interesting? What does it mean that something holds our interest? But I think that I can make the statement that all human cultural production is complexly interwoven. Poets are inspired by paintings. Painters have read Homer. Every popular fiction writer now grew up reading novels when they were younger. People who make movies gained their skills by watching movies. Everything is interwoven and everything is interesting. And the reason that it becomes interesting is that if we look carefully at what human beings have produced throughout the history of human cultural production, we see that not only is it interwoven, but it shows us, it demonstrates ineluctably that what human beings are driven to produce is always theologically accurate. If a person who's not a believer writes a novel and in that character is a person who is an atheist and that character becomes the most interesting character in the book, this simply demonstrates the fact that human beings always suppress the truth. Everything is interesting. Everything that we produce ultimately points to God. If an artist is a Christian and they produce something that is explicitly Christian, it points to God. If an artist is a pagan, a writer is a pagan, a film director, a scriptwriter is a pagan, what they produce, of course, will be absolutely rankly pagan and atheistic, and yet the very fact that it was produced by a creative mind ultimately points to the fact that this is a broken image of God that is driven to produce. One of the most recognized artworks in all of Western culture is a painting produced in 1509-1510 in Rome, inside of what we now call the Vatican. These are the personal apartments, very large personal rooms of Pope Leo X. They were painted on a freshly uh, stuccoed wall uh, with fresh wet plaster on them by a guy named Raffaello de Sanzio, who is one of the great masters of Renaissance art. The two that he is usually named with, Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo Buonarroti, the third, Raphael de Sanzio. Sanzio, Raphael, gets this commission to paint the interior walls of the Pope, Leo X. Now, this is the same Pope that, a little bit further down the line, is going to get into a very large theological debate with an Augustinian monk gone bad in Germany named Martin Luther. And so 
Raphael decides he's going to paint these very large frescoes. Fresco just means fresh. So they have fresh plaster and they paint uh, onto the plaster various kinds of scenes. And so the painting I'm referring to in, this, in the, the personal meeting rooms of Pope Leo X is called the Scuola di Atene in Italian. It's the School of Athens. And we've all seen it before. It's actually painted on an arched wall. It's very large, 15, 18 feet tall, about 35, 40 feet across. And it's the scene, it looks like it's set inside of a temple, and it's got all of these people dressed in Greek and Roman robes, and they're all discussing and debating and looking at books and drawing things, and it's the school of Athens. The idea is that this is showing us all the great philosophers, not just of Athens, but also of ancient Rome, and even Eastern countries. And what Raphael is doing in this painting is he's giving a kind of a visual survey of Western and Eastern intellectual and cultural history. People have identified uh, many of the characters. Clearly in the center of the painting, framed in the very uh, back and walking towards us, are Plato and Aristotle, the two great uh, Greek philosophers. Plato, as the student of Socrates, writes down all the famous Socratic dialogues. Socrates himself taught but did not write. And then Plato's top student, Aristotle, who writes books on basically everything from the weather to the nature of the soul, all kinds of books on plants and animals, books on history, books on literature, books on rhetoric, books on philosophy itself. And so Plato and Aristotle in the back seem to be walking and having a little bit of a debate. Plato is pointing upwards because he believes that the answer to the ultimate philosophical question, what is real, is that what is real our ideas, the invisible ethereal realm of concepts. That's what's really real because ideas don't actually change. If I produce the idea of a chair, the chair that I'm sitting in is just a kind of a shadowy replica or reflection of the idea of a chair. But you may own a chair, I may own a chair, there may be chairs in the store or down the road. They're all different chairs and they're not the real chairs. The real chair is the idea of chairness, an idea that all of us share even though we own different chairs. And so Plato's pointing up and he's holding uh, his book, The Timaeus, which is a very kind of an ethereal book about the structure and the construction of the universe. His top student, Aristotle, being a good student, is disagreeing with his teacher. Aristotle is pointing downward. He has a handout, says, no, what is real is the material. And Aristotle is not denying that ideas are real. He's saying, yeah, but we have to deal with the physical, material reality that's all around us, particularly the idea that our ideas in our minds are contained in physical, corporeal bodies. And so Aristotle is in some ways uh, critiquing and in some ways even reversing his teacher uh, uh, Plato and ultimately his intellectual grandfather Socrates. And Aristotle is holding his book, The Ethics, which says we live in a material world and we need to learn how to live well in that world. And art historians have looked across this panorama of several dozen figures, some sitting, standing, walking, laying down, and identified some of the Stoic philosophers, like the inventor of Stoicism, Zeno, or Epicurus, the inventor of Epicurean philosophy. These are the two main philosophical groups that are arguing philosophical questions in ancient Athens when Paul visits there in Acts chapter 17. People have identified Diogenes and Xenophon. Some people have identified uh, Eastern thinkers, 
that come from what we would now refer to as the Middle East, even as far away as India. Some characters are wearing turbans. And all these philosophers are debating ideas and concepts and thoughts. You see people uh, 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 talking about different geometric solids. So we might have Euclid. As a matter of fact, we will see off on the bottom right uh, a close-up of Euclid, and he's got a slate on the ground, a bunch of young students, and he has a compass, and he's drawing a circle. Now, what's really, really, and Euclid, of course, is the inventor of plane geometry. Now, what's really, really fascinating is that art historians have also identified many of the faces of these characters as people that Raphael knew. For instance, Plato is often identified as the face and bald head and long beard of Leonardo da Vinci, who's living at the same time. Aristotle is often identified as the identifiable face and beard of Michelangelo. Other characters are identified. As a matter of fact, one of the characters is sometimes identified as Hypatia, who is a famous, brilliant female mathematician philosopher from ancient Alexandria. But this feminized face also looks a lot like Raphael himself. So Raphael seems to have painted himself as a self-portrait as Hypatia or possibly another maybe male philosopher into this painting. So it's an interesting uh, uh, exercise to see how philosophy and painting in an architectural space all are woven together by this Renaissance genius Raphael. But that's not the only thing that's interesting to me here. As a matter of fact, if you look at the entire painting itself, which I said is quite large, you'll see that Plato and Aristotle are walking towards us and all the figures are lounging about having a wonderful afternoon debating philosophical concepts and ideas but they're in a building that is kind of an indoor-outdoor space, which is typical of Greek and Roman architecture, right, where you want uh, protection from the heat of the sun in the middle of the day, but you also want it open because you get these cool ocean breezes in that beautiful Mediterranean climate. If you look in the bottom right, you will see that the figure of Euclid, who is the geometer, who is teaching his students how to make a circle with the compass on a piece of slate, is balding and has a ring of gray hair and a gray beard. And from the structure of the top of the head and the face that's seen at kind of an oblique angle, art historians have identified the model for that face, because of course we don't know what Euclid looked like. He lived 16, 1700 years before Raphael painted the painting. That face is actually the face of Donato Bramante. Donato Bramante, who was an architect, sculptor, and a painter, he and Michelangelo had been given the task of designing the interior of St. Peter's Basilica, which is even today the largest church building in the world. It's really the center of the Catholic uh, uh, papacy structure there in Vatican City in Rome. I've been in there many, many times. So Bramante designs the interior, as well as a lot of the exterior, of the major building in 16th century Catholicism. This building was going to be built over the next century, century and a half, largely with money that was raised by Pope Leo X, giving the right for preachers to travel around Europe and sell indulgences, where you could basically spring yourself or one of your uh, dead family members out of purgatory if you made a proper donation. The donation would then go to Rome and be used to finance the building of the new church, St. Peter's Basilica. This 
was exactly what the Augustinian monk and theology professor Martin Luther reacted to when one of the partners, the indulgence sellers, Jan Tetzel, came into his town and said, the minute that you put the coin into my box, a soul springs from purgatory. And Martin Luther went berserk. And before you know it, he writes out the 95 Theses and the Protestant Reformation starts. You can see how history, architecture, theology, the visual arts, and philosophy are all woven together in this cultural moment. So if we look at that image, we can see Euclid. He's identified as the philosopher geometrician Euclid, but the face is Donato Bramante. And what is he doing? He's doing geometry, and geometry is a branch of math. It's mathematics in space. And that is the center of engineering and architectural design. And Bramante is shown on the floor doing basic arithmetical geometry, which is the core of architectural design. As uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci says, uh, il disegno è tutti. Design is everything. And so here's Bramante as Euclid designing a building. Well, what building is he inside? Well, if you walk outside of Pope Leo X's apartments and you go downstairs and you make a turn, you will walk into St. Peter's Basilica, and St. Peter's Basilica is this massive arch, dome on pendentive structure filled with light and art and gold. And then if you were to go back up to Pope Leo X's apartment and look again at the interior exterior building of the Scuola de Atene, the School of Athens, you will see that that building that the philosophers are in and Plato and Aristotle are walking through is in fact an incompleted version of the building that Bramante had designed. So you have Bramante as Euclid showing how to design a building using geometry inside of a painting with an incomplete building, the one he designed, which is part of the building that he had just designed. All of this is interwoven together. Philosophy, theology, history, mathematics, design, all of human culture is intimately interwoven. And what Christians need to learn how to do is how to live inside that culture and not be of it. And how to recognize that the ultimate brilliance the ultimate wisdom is always biblical wisdom. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Masters University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.